Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Catherine Manning, and we're going to explore how to grow on YouTube and how to develop a loyal following. By the way, if you want to reach out to me, I am at Stelzner on Instagram, or you can email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And if you're new to this podcast, hit the subscribe button. We've got some amazing content coming your way. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Here's Michael's tip of the week. What if I told you there was something you could do at the beginning of every sales letter and at the beginning of every article that could radically increase the likelihood someone would listen? Want to know more? Here's the thing. All you've got to do is ask two questions. Now, some people that are paying attention are going to be like, hey, wait a minute, you just asked two questions. Exactly. Every single article that's been published on Social Media Examiner opens with two questions. Here's an example. Want more customers for your local business? Have you considered using Twitter to connect with customers? This is one on a how to drive local foot traffic with Twitter ads. Or how about this? Wish you had an engaged Facebook following that turned into customers? Are the algorithms working against you? See, these two questions, which happen to be at our Facebook Marketing Summit opening, the use of two questions is exceptionally powerful because it sends a signal to the person reading and or listening to those questions that this is for them or this is not for them. And it's a very powerful way to loop people in and to get them interested in continuing to consume your sales page or your articles. Give it a try. Let me know if it works for you. 
Okay, let's transition over to this week's interview with Catherine Manning. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Catherine Manning. If you don't know who Catherine is, you need to know who she is. She's a YouTube expert who teaches small YouTubers how to grow using the platform. She's also author of Blow It Up Blueprint. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Well, I'm really excited today. Catherine and I are going to explore how to grow a YouTube following. And before we go there, I would love to hear your backstory. Start wherever you want to start. How the heck did you get onto YouTube and what did you do before then? Go ahead and tell us the story because I can't wait to hear it. Okay, so I got started back in October of 2016. I had recently graduated college. I was working a full-time job as a digital marketing consultant, and I liked the work, but I didn't necessarily love it. Like, I didn't feel like that was where my passion lied, and I didn't think that was what I was going to be doing forever. So I decided that I wanted to change my career. I still wanted to be in digital marketing because I found it so fascinating. The thought that you can actually turn like Instagram, YouTube, social media into a job, I just thought was so, so cool. So is that what you were doing? You were helping like businesses figure out how to use Instagram and all the other channels to grow their following? Yeah. So I got started, I was a digital marketing consultant. So I was teaching people and well, I kind of did evaluations on people's websites, their social media presence. And I created kind of guides on how they could improve it. And if we took over the work, what we would do for them are our recommendations if they were to do it themselves. So we did things such as website design, uh, content creation, like SEO content creation, Facebook, Instagram, all of that. Perfect. So keep going. Yeah. So back in October, 2016, I decided that I wanted to create a blog. So I knew that I wanted to create my own brand in some sense. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was terrified of anyone finding out. So I created a website called The Content Bug and I told no one absolutely no one. And my plan was to use my knowledge that I had gained in the digital marketing industry and help bloggers better understand the things that they didn't know, such as SEO, that is such a daunting topic. And a lot of bloggers have no idea how to be found on Google. So I wanted to help teach them that information. So I got started with my blog. And after doing that for a year, I decided I was finally comfortable enough to share my face. I told my family and my friends and they knew what I was doing. So you you did the big reveal. I am the content bug. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) it wasn't like that. Uh, My sister found out because she found my Pinterest account. And some other family members ended up finding my Instagram. So I didn't tell them until they found out on their own. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I have this thing. (laughs) Cool. So then like how in the world did this lead to YouTube? Tell us more. Yeah. So it's funny. Instagram stories ended up coming out. And Instagram stories became a big thing. And I finally got the nerve to talk on my Instagram stories. And I realized the connection that I could create with my audience by actually talking to them instead of just writing out text, you know, writing out blog posts. I felt like that connection wasn't there. Uh, So after doing Instagram stories for a little while, I figured why not jump onto YouTube because then that would help to enhance my blog. I was creating tutorials on things such as Pinterest and SEO, like I talked about. And I was like, okay, if I want to do tutorials, a video walkthrough tutorial can be 
much more helpful compared to just a written blog post. So I really got started because of that. And then it's grown so much over the past couple of years. So when did you start going all in on YouTube? How long ago was that? So I started my YouTube channel in 2017, the end of 2017. And the first year, I would say I was consistent on it because I knew that consistency was important. But I didn't really know my niche. I wasn't that focused and I wasn't prioritizing YouTube as a way to actually grow my brand. So it really wasn't until 2019 that I was like, okay, I'm going to really hone in on YouTube. And that was, it took a while for them, the YouTube algorithm to realize what I was doing and pick up on it. And then at the end of 2019, that's when my growth really started to happen. So what, talk about what kinds of videos you started doing in 2019 when things started to grow. Tell us a little bit more and then what you're doing today on YouTube. Yeah. So when I got started on YouTube, I talked about everything and anything. So I'm really into personal development and books and all these different kinds of things. And I just thought that I could create videos about whatever I wanted and people were going to like them. Uh, It wasn't until 2019 that I really realized I needed to hone in. So I started to kind of use the strategy I was using with my blog, which was teaching bloggers about blogging, SEO, Pinterest, all of that stuff. So I decided to hone in on three topics and I shared videos on blogging tips, Pinterest tips, as well as how I was able to do things. So how I was able to grow my brand or how I was able to make money I focused on that because I wanted to help bloggers grow. And then as my YouTube channel started to grow, because I had finally figured out what content I was really going to create and how I could provide value to people, like I even more so understood my audience and what they were looking for, I started to grow on YouTube. And I started to get more questions about how I was growing on YouTube. So I decided to take one month where I ditched my other strategy and I only created videos about growing on YouTube and they did so well that I ended up sticking with it. So today on the channel, you're focusing predominantly, you're teaching who exactly? Who's your primary audience that you're trying, the smaller YouTubers? Is mm-hmm. that right? Yep, smaller YouTubers. How to really grow on YouTube and tell everybody like, you know, where were you when you started the strategy in 2019 as far as like maybe views and, and subscribers and where are you now? Yeah, so the start of 2019, I had 300 subscribers. (laughs) By about the end of 2019, I think it was around maybe 15,000, and now I'm over 220,000 subscribers. So, wow. Yeah, it was, it was really, it was a dramatic growth, but it was, I, I started out, I was all over the place. I didn't have a strategy, and obviously that was going to hold me back. So, it was once I, really figured out how YouTube works, how the algorithm works and what my audience needed for me that I was able to reach a lot more people and gain that audience. And it's not just one video that took you to this many subscribers. I'm assuming you've got millions of views across lots of videos, right? I mean, I'm, yes. I imagine. And what's the average video these days? How many views are you getting after the first maybe 30 days or so? Uh, 30 days or so, it's about like 25,000 per video, but it depends. Some videos can really take off. So I have one that I launched less than a month ago that has over 50,000 views. So it, it really depends based off of the topic. So now that you've tasted a little bit of YouTube, how do you feel about it compared to blogging? I'm just curious. I love it. I I've honestly, I've kind of ditched blogging, which makes me sad because that's where I got started. But YouTube, it allows me to be a bit more creative. 
you can always try something new within your editing style, within your filming style. And I just like the connection that I can create with my audience. I think my personality comes off a little bit better through video compared to just writing out blog posts. So I'm in the YouTube world right now. (laughs) So first of all, thanks for sharing that story. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be able to relate to lots of different sides of your story. For those that are not on YouTube or haven't gone all in on YouTube that are listening right now, why do you think they maybe want to consider creating more sophisticated strategy on YouTube, regardless of what niche they're in? Yeah. So for me, like I already said, creating that connection with my audience was everything. I think it's easier to grow your audience when you have that connection, when you can relate to them, when you can talk to them and like I said, better understand your personality. Like people are going to vibe with you and your vibe attracts your tribe. And I think that YouTube is really a great way to do that. But one of the other things I love is I started in the digital digital marketing industry. I like SEO. So YouTube is a search engine. And if you want to be found on Google, you probably should try to be found on YouTube as well. So the content that you create on YouTube is going to last for a long time. It's not like Instagram where it has to be recent to be found. YouTube videos that I created over a year ago can still be found. So I think there's a lot of benefits to YouTube as a platform, just as a whole. Well, and I love the fact that you mentioned Google because we have a YouTube channel also, and we're on that growth trajectory. We're not obviously getting there as fast as as you are, but hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have 100,000 subscribers. And we've noticed that some of our videos pop up right there in Google search at the very Mm -hmm. top. Have you noticed that as well? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was in my analytics recently and I noticed that I think it's external sources is what they call it, but you can actually see if your traffic is coming from Google. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's just it's such a powerful thing, and I'm so excited to to talk to you a little bit more about this. So tell us what you do in your YouTube videos to connect with your audience, because you kind of alluded earlier that in the beginning you were scared and you kind of learned with Instagram that this was something that you could do, and then you kind of found your way really on YouTube. So, you know, what do you do specifically in your YouTube videos to help your audience um, connect with you? There's a couple of things. So when I first got started on YouTube, I think everyone is like this. You get a little camera shy. It's not normal to talk to a camera. And I know when I was first getting started, I still have my first few videos I ever filmed live on my channel. When I was first getting started, I was really, really nervous and I didn't know how to just be myself. I thought that I had to be picture perfect and I had to have my hair done, makeup done, all that stuff. And I kind of got to the point where I realized no one is perfect (laughs) and no one can relate to that content of me cutting everything out and just creating this picture perfect video. Now, I definitely like a nice looking video, but one of the things I did from, it wasn't from the beginning, but one of the things that I did in, I think it was 2019, I started to incorporate more real content in there. So I started to include my bloopers at the end of the video, all of the mistakes that I made. And that was a great way for my audience to be able to connect with me and be able to relate because if they're filming videos too, they know exactly what it is like to make those mistakes. But I also... I try to share the real and tough stuff. 
Instagram and social media and YouTube, all that, it can turn into a highlight reel. And like I already said, no one is perfect. It's really, really hard to relate to that picture perfect life. So if I am crying and I am sad and I'm having a really, really rough day, I'm going to include that in a video. And even recently I filmed a video talking about some things I wish I would have known before I got started with YouTube. And I started out the video and I left in all of the bloopers of me making mistakes trying to get the video started. And it's simple things like that that people can actually connect to, they can relate to, and I think that helps to build your connection. So why do you feel like when you left the real stuff in there that it kind of made a difference with your audience? Like what happened? What kind of feedback did you start getting? Yeah, I started to get more comments, uh, but like that were specifically focused on that. You know, so there were some comments saying, oh, so relatable. Oh my gosh, this happens to me. How, like, I've turned on my camera too many times and <laughs> I keep restarting, restarting, restarting. And it's through the comments that I realized the impact that it was really having. Okay. And I'm sure some people are like, how in the world do you have the guts to turn on the camera when you're crying? Right. I mean, talk to me a little bit about that. Like what, what do you do? Like, like, cause I'm sure a lot of people are like, heck no. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It's not easy. It's, it's not easy. And it's also, it's not natural. You know, when you're crying, you don't want to pull out a camera. You probably don't even want to look yourself in the mirror. Like that's not a moment you want to remember. Uh, but one thing I always remind myself is <laughs> no one can connect to that perfect life, like I'm saying. So right. even though, yes, I'm going through something tough right now, I wish that I saw someone else going through something tough as well and maybe had the tips or tricks that they used to get themselves out of it. So this isn't something that I talk about, but let's say you're going through a breakup you might want to watch other videos of people going through a breakup. You don't want to see someone's picture perfect relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think like it, it is tough and I don't know if I really have the best advice for just pulling out a camera when you're crying, but right. it, it, it also takes time. I've been on YouTube for three years at this point. So when I was getting started, I definitely was not comfortable doing that. <laughs> so I would imagine if there's something that's, you know, people have all sorts of different emotions. You might be frustrated, you might be angry, you might be excited. And I would imagine you just get in the habit of, have you programmed yourself that, okay, I've got to figure out a way to make something useful out of this, right? I've got to figure out a way to use this to somehow provide value to my audience. Is that what goes through your mind? Because obviously you're not faking it, I would imagine, right? I mean, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not faking it. Yeah. No, I, I think that's part of it. And especially, so I created my brand, like I said, I wasn't really happy with my career. And there was like a lot of aspects of my life that I was just, I was, I was really unhappy and I was down and I was like, how can I actually create a life that I love? And just by telling that story, I've had so many people reach out to me and say, I'm in the exact same place or I was in the exact same place and I decided to actually do it. So for me, when I'm in that space of being frustrated or maybe burnt out or overwhelmed, I want to share because I want to help other people realize that they can turn it into something positive as well as like it happens to everyone. <laughs> so um, just from a practical perspective, let's say something happens. And you know you want to make a video out of it and you've got some emotions. Do you just capture it and then decide what to do with it later? Or what do you do with it? Because I would imagine when you're in the moment, you got to turn on the camera if you're going to do something like this and capture it. Am I close? Yeah. Most of the time, I have no idea what I'm going to do with the content. I just start filming. Hmm. 
so there have been times when I'm just crying in my kitchen and I'm like, I just like, I just need to pull out my camera in and now I just need to get this moment. And then the video idea will come to me later and I'll realize like the message that I want to share with it. I think sometimes in the moment, it's hard to be like, okay, how can I think about the content right now <laughs> when something else is going on? Right. But I usually, I just try to document in the moment and then I create it into a video later on. So when we were preparing for this interview, you mentioned to me that entertainment is kind of a part of making good videos. So how do you use entertainment to create videos that are more exciting for your audience to watch? And what tips do you have for anybody listening? Yeah. So I'm obviously, I'm in like the YouTube niche on YouTube. So I teach people how to grow on YouTube. And when I was a small YouTuber, I watched a lot of videos of like that exact same topic myself. And one of the things I realized is although they are so, so informative, they're not that entertaining. And me personally, I like to watch daily vlogs. I like to watch lifestyle content. I like to watch even like finance content, how much money people are making, how they're making money. Like I find all that really fascinating. But one thing I realized is that their videos keep my attention a lot longer because of the entertainment aspect compared to the videos teaching you about how to grow on YouTube. So within my own channel, I was like, okay, how can I draw from the lifestyle and vlogging niche and make my videos more entertaining? And for me, I love the analytics side of things. I love like the thought that YouTube is a business and like they want to make more money. So they want to keep people on the platform for longer. And the more ads people watch, like the more money YouTube makes. And YouTube wants to keep people on the platform longer. So you need to figure out how can you make your videos interesting enough for someone to watch your video the whole way through or want to watch more and more of your videos. So for me, I ended up, I started watching other YouTubers that I really liked and I pulled on a notepad and I was like, okay, what do I actually like about their videos? What are they doing? What are cool transitions? Like, are they changing scenes? What are their sound effects? And that's what I then started to incorporate within my channel and it really worked. So maybe you can give an example of one of the daily vlogs that you watch or that you've watched so others can go see what you're talking about. But, you know, what is it that these vloggers are doing that are so entertaining just so everybody listening can kind of wrap their mind around this? Yeah. So a couple of things. So I'll give you an example. Alicia Marie is one of my favorite YouTubers. She's got over 8 million subscribers on her main channel, over 3 million on her vlog channel. And her videos are always so creative and so unique and I really like them. But if you're creating videos and you're like, okay, how can I make them more entertaining? A couple of things that worked for me. One, don't just sit in one spot the whole entire time. So mm -hmm. I noticed that a lot of talking head videos, it's just someone sitting in one spot and giving you information. That can be a little bit boring. So change up the scene, change up the angles and that's going to work wonders. Now, if you are editing your video and you're bored, your audience is going to be bored. Mm. So find ways to create, let's say like overlays. One of the things I like to do is create B-roll scenes. So get extra footage that relates to what you are talking about and include that over when you are speaking. Give us a quick example of that. Yeah, so if I'm, let's say, if I'm talking about how I use Instagram stories as part of my strategy to connect with my audience, instead of just sitting down on my couch in my office, my whole filming setup, and just saying I use Instagram stories, all that stuff, I will actually refilm a fake scene of me with my phone up talking on my stories, and then it actually gives people a visual of what I am saying. Got it, and your voice is running underneath it, right? Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. So, so far we've got, don't just stay in one spot, change the scenes and angles. So does that mean like literally walk around with like a selfie stick or what does that mean exactly? 
<laughs> so, okay, it's different if you're creating vlog-like videos. If you're doing daily vlogs, obviously, it, it wouldn't make sense for you to be in one spot. It's going to be really easy for you to change up scenes. And a tip that I would give you is also change up your perspective. So sometimes have the camera looking at you. Sometimes have the camera looking at what you actually see. But if you are filming more so those sit-down videos, like what I mainly film on my Catherine Manning channel, I will actually change up the position of the camera. So I film all my videos by myself. It's on a tripod and every new shot I get, I have to change my tripod positioning, my lighting positioning, but I will actually just jump and move the camera around and you'll learn how to make transitions. So if you're going from a spot where you're just standing and talking and then you go and you're sitting on your couch or you're sitting at your desk or wherever it is, you can figure out how to walk out of the scene and then walk into the next scene to have it make sense while you are switching that location. Oh, very cool. Now, how often are you switching just out of curiosity? Like if you're doing a 10 minute video, are you switching? How often are you switching up that angle and scene? So I try all of my YouTube videos or most of them, I would say 90% of them. I create an outline for them. So I know what I am going to say. And usually it's just bullet points. And then I let myself flow. But for each new section of the video, I will jump scenes. So for me, that's typically a minute and a half, sometimes two or three minutes, depending on how long the point is. But I would say don't sit in one spot for more than three minutes. And I would imagine when you're editing it, do you do punch-ins and stuff uh, when you're on that scene so you can punch in on your face or something like that to kind of create a little, or do you just keep it like literally just that whole scene, same, you know, width of the camera for the entire minute, minute and a half? No, I definitely, I do those punch-ins, especially when you're saying something that you want emphasis on, definitely right. doing a little transform and zooming in. Yeah. Cool. So we talked about the B-roll. We talked about not just sitting in one spot. And uh, is there anything else that we can learn from, you know, what you've learned from studying these vlogs? I would say music and sound effects. Some people, especially podcasts, are taking off right now. People love audio. So some people will watch or they won't watch your videos. They'll listen to your videos instead of watching them. So if you have sound effects and cues that can bring people back to the video it, it draws their eyes back in. So one of the things I do, I tend to do a lot of screen recording. So I will share my computer screen and what I'm talking about, especially if it's YouTube analytics and I want to show within my own creator studio, I will have a clicking sound. So my audience knows when there's a click, there's actually a change in the scene on the video. And then they know to actually look and watch that. Have you found any good resources that are like, um, you know, to get sound effects and stuff that you can just plop right into your videos? So YouTube has their own. They have their own copyright-free section, but I use Epidemic Sound. Cool. So let's talk about, I don't know, and we may have already talked about this, um, but how do you engage your audience on YouTube? Because I know we've talked about like how you're using entertainment effects and maybe these are engagement also, but I know, are these the same thing or is this something different? It's kind of the same thing. So. I, let, let me dive like a different way into it. So yes, your visuals, your audios, that's going to keep people engaged. But how do you get people to actually show up and watch your video? How do you get people to respond to your video and engage with your video, such as likes and comments? There's definitely some strategies to be had there. So 
one, your thumbnail is by far the most important thing when it comes to your YouTube video is what people are going to see and what's going to actually convince them to click on it. So if you actually want people to watch your video, really, really pay attention to your thumbnail and some tips when it comes to that, take a look. So do some keyword research and take a look at what other thumbnails look like in the topic that you're going for for your video and see what other people are doing, what is actually working on the videos that are getting views compared to videos that aren't getting views. And as a tip, facial expressions are huge. <laughs> People I know love. it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. <laughs> like for folks that might have heard some of the other interviews we've done on the YouTube content stuff. You know, we have people we fly into our studio and we film a lot of, you know, how-to tutorials. And afterwards, mm -hmm. our videographer, Mitch, has them pose in a million different ways. <laughs> you know, and make all these crazy faces because he doesn't know which one he's going to use. Right. And we're going to test them. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and it seems to be true that the faces, like the close-ups on the faces seems to make a difference. And sometimes that shocked face or whatever, have you found that yeah. to be true as well? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So much so that I felt like for a while, almost all of my thumbnails had the shocked face and I was like, I need to change this up. <laughs> well, and the other thing that's cool that everybody should know is that you can change your thumbnail at any time. Yes. No matter what. And you can take a video that was performing moderately well and get it to perform dramatically better, can't you? Just by mm -hmm. changing the thumbnail. Yeah. A thumbnail is so, so important. I mean, your thumbnail and your title, but I think a lot of people will look at the thumbnail and instantly click compared to actually reading your title. Cool. So you were talking about how to get them to show up in the first place. Is the thumbnail part of it? Is there anything else on getting people to show up? Yeah, your thumbnail. And then when it comes to actually engaging with your content, so getting those likes and getting those comments, for one, let me explain the algorithm a little bit. So you want those likes and those comments because that triggers YouTube. That's one of the things they pay attention to is, okay, how long are people watching the video? How many people are watching it? As well as what is the engagement rate with the video? So you definitely want people to actually engage with your video. And some people don't know. Like before I got started on YouTube, I honestly didn't know that even just giving a simple thumbs up, I mean, it's one click. I didn't realize that that was actually helping to support other YouTubers and help them with the algorithm. I didn't know that. So even just telling your audience that it helps to support you or at the beginning of the video is typically when it's recommended, tell your audience to like it or give it a thumbs up that will make a difference. You know, it's funny. I've noticed a lot of vloggers, especially because my kids are watching all these you know, yeah. crazy vloggers that are just doing stunts and all that stuff. And most of them are just very young girl vloggers. And they always say, you know, smack the thumbs up or whatever, right? Yep. They always say that. <laughs> I forget how they say it exactly. But so, so that sends a signal to you, I guess, and also to the algorithm. But I would imagine it also is an important signal to you because you can tell which videos have more likes and which ones don't, right? Because a, yes. a like is way easier than a comment and most people don't comment, right? So... Yeah. If you found that to be true. For sure. So one of the tips I was going to give is I really had to figure out how to get my audience to engage. So one of the things was telling them to like the video. But one of the things I do is with every video, when it goes live, I'm there the first half hour to respond to comments. Now, my audience is at the point where it's big enough. So I have a lot of people actually show up within the first half hour because they want to talk to me. So having kind of an incentive to leave a comment is a good thing. And that could be simply that you respond, that you leave a heart, or if you can do a giveaway or something that's actually going to encourage people to leave those comments. So how do you send the signal to the audience that you're going to be there to respond to comments in the first 30 minutes? Do you say that in the video or do you put a, do you pin a comment? I mean, how in the world do you convey that to your subscribers? 
So when I first started doing it, I started to mention it in every video. So at the end of your video, tell your audience when your next video is going live. So you should have an uploading schedule and a content calendar. So for me, that's every Tuesday, a new video goes live and it's 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I told them for, it was probably a month straight, just about every single video I said, I'll see you guys back here in the next video. I'll be there the first half hour to respond to comments. And that got at least the people that were watching my videos, it triggered them. So they then knew to be there for the next upload. And then over time, it just kind of, they start talking to each other and everyone just kind of knew. So we've got a lot of social marketers listening to the show and they understand the value of comments on Facebook and Instagram, but talk Mm -hmm. to us a little bit about what it's like on YouTube. Yeah. So like I said, it's obviously, it's important for the algorithm, but one of the things I like about it is your connection with your audience, you want to have a good relationship there. And one of the ways that I like to look at it is kind of as customer service. So without your audience, you don't have a very successful YouTube channel. Like if I didn't have so many people subscribe to my channel, I wouldn't have those views and I would not be where I am today with my brand. So I view it as customer service. I want to connect with them. I want them to feel involved. I want them to feel like they are actually appreciated because I do appreciate them so much. But beyond that, I get a lot of my video ideas from my audience just by seeing what questions they have and what they are leaving in the comment section, like what their struggles are. I then turn those into video ideas. So how many comments just out of curiosity will you get in the first 30 minutes now that you've got a decent size? I mean, you've got a pretty big channel right now. So just give everybody some context of how many comments typically might show up in the first half an hour when you publish a video for you. I usually have about 300 comments. Wow. And and what do you do when you have only about a half an hour to respond to 300 comments? I mean, what are you doing exactly? (laughs) Yeah. So YouTube has an option where you can heart comments. So if some of them uh, maybe are just saying, love the video, nice, like I liked this one specific thing, but it's a little bit simpler. I will just heart it so they know that I at least saw it and I appreciate it. And then other ones I will leave comments or uh, yeah, I will comment back. Now there was a point in time when I was responding to every single comment, but as my channel grew, as my audience grew, it kind of became impossible. So I try to get as many as I can done. And then the other ones that I see, I will definitely heart. Have you started to notice certain people showing up consistently every time you publish a video in the comment section? Oh, yes, without a doubt. I've got like 10 to 15 people that I could probably just recognize off of the top of my head. Like if I just saw them there, yeah, there's some people that show up every single time. Do you feel like uh, engaging with people in the comments is helping with your brand and the other things that you're doing? And do you suggest that this be part of the strategy for everybody who has a YouTube channel? Definitely. So one of the things I did when before my audience was as big as it is now, and I can't respond to every single comment, I would be spending a lot of time on YouTube if I tried to do that. But when I was getting started and my audience was small, I did respond to every comment. And that was really important to me that every single day, every comment was responded to as a way to connect with my audience, as a way to better understand them, what they were looking for, as well as then create content out of it. But that relationship, I think, is really, really important and can take you really far on YouTube as well as any social media platform. Do you also cross promote like your Instagram account or anything like that on YouTube so you can have private conversations with people? 
Yes, I do. And I actually, I use my Instagram a lot to promote my YouTube, but I do use my YouTube to promote my Instagram. Yeah. Got it. Did you, do you find that your Instagram account started getting larger as you, your YouTube account started getting larger? Did you see any correlation there at all? Yes. Yeah. So my Instagram account hasn't grown as much and it's probably because I don't devote as much time to the platform. I'm not consistent with my posts. The only thing I'm consistent with is talking on Instagram stories. But yeah, my Instagram, I think I'm a little over 20,000 followers now, Uh, but it's basically it's because of people coming from YouTube and finding my Instagram. Awesome. So let's talk about analytics because you said you're kind of an analytics geek a little bit. So (laughs) let's get into like, what do people need to know about the analytics side of YouTube? Because it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I'm a total analytics geek and I just, I love digging in on the YouTube analytics stuff. So share how you're using that and what what you're able to do with that. Yeah. So I, I love analytics and I could just, I could talk about it for so long, but there's a couple of things that you need to pay attention to within the analytics. And like I said, the algorithm, it pays attention to your engagement rate. So what videos are actually getting those thumbs up? What videos are getting those comments? That tells you that your audience is obviously interested in them or it's causing some kind of reaction. So maybe they want more videos on that topic, or maybe you did something different within your editing style or your filming style that will give you a cue of what your audience is looking for. So the very basics is just take a look at those very simple metrics. But for me, what I started to do, and one of the things that took my channel up a notch and why I was able to grow so quickly is I really started to pay attention to what videos YouTube was recommending. So you can see within the analytics where your traffic is coming from. And when it's starting to come from, obviously YouTube search, that's important to pay attention to. But when you see... Uh, recommended, suggested, as well as browse features, those are all from the algorithm working its magic. So I really paid attention to what videos were starting to get views and were starting to get recommended by YouTube. And then I created other videos that related to that video. This is the fascinating side that I geek out about because like (laughs) every Saturday I seem to just spend, it feels like an hour in the analytics. And and I just look at the videos for the last seven days that seem to have high views. And then I go into Mm -hmm. the reach and I look at those, they show these little, it's kind of like a, a chart, right? Like a, like a bar, like a line chart, yes. right? Yep. And I watch for lines that are breaking out. Do you do the same thing? Like I watch whether the mm-hmm. suggested video or the search is starting to break out above all the other channels. And then I'm just like, Ooh, it looks like this one's going to take <laughs> off. Do you ever, do you ever do that as well? Oh Yeah. Yeah. And especially when my videos, all of them, well, I would say at the time when all my videos were getting maybe 5,000 views each, I would really know my top 10 videos. So ones that then started to get 50,000 views and then close to 100,000 views. And if I noticed that some of those were changing and some of them were growing faster than others, I would take note of that and then create similar videos. What do you do when it tells you that, for example, in search, the click-through rate is lower and the watch time is lower than some of the other channels or through suggested videos? What do you do with that kind of data? Is that a sign that maybe the thumbnail or the title needs to be changed? Do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah, yeah. So what I'll actually do, I'll take a look at 
some of my videos. So you can actually compare several videos all at once and you can see the click-through rate. And I will take a look because that mainly means the thumbnail. Right. Sure, it could mean the title, but I will then take a look at those thumbnails and see what I'm doing different. So what ones with high click-through rates, like what am I doing in that thumbnail compared to ones with low click-through rates? Now, I don't usually go back through and change my thumbnail. I just use that as kind of research to improve the next video and the next thumbnail that I create. So we use, uh, we use TubeBuddy and they've got this really yeah. cool, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they have this cool AB split test mm-hmm. and, and it allows you to upload a th- another thumbnail and it, and what it does is on day one, it'll show the original thumbnail and day two, it'll show the new one and it will alternate every single day. And then it will show you which thumbnail has been in the old thumbnail. And yeah. we've been able to increase the click-through rates on some of our videos from like maybe they could go up like almost by an entire percentage point, which is pretty substantial, you know? So yeah, instead of being like uh, 2.5%, it might go up to 3.5%. And, and we've just begun to realize that some of the stuff in videos that seems to work is lots of color. And, um, mm-hmm. and we have a really amazing um, creative team here inside of Social Media Examiner. But it's kind of fun. So we've just gotten to the point now where we design multiple thumbnails before we even publish the video. And then we yeah. know the one that we're going to go with, which we think is the best one. And then we we wait about a week. And then because we want the algorithm to do its magic before we start experimenting with the thumbnails. And mm-hmm. then we'll start beginning thumbnail tests. And and it's just it's just a lot of fun to see how all of a sudden something that was blowing up could blow up even more or yeah. something that should be blowing up will start blowing up once we change the thumbnail. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Is there any other stuff that you've discovered through the analytics that people should understand or know about? Yeah. So another thing that I do is within the keywords. So within YouTube search, you can see like your sources, where it's coming from within YouTube search. Take a look at what keywords are actually driving traffic to your videos. And when I was first getting started, I didn't have, now I have hundreds of videos on my channel, but when I was first getting started, I would take a look at what keywords were driving traffic to certain videos that the video wasn't 100% what that keyword was about. Mm. So let's say I have like someone typed in how to find copyright free music for YouTube videos and someone ends up finding another one of my videos that's just talking about how to create YouTube videos, Mm. I realize that there's an opportunity there and I'll create a specific video for that keyword. Love it. So what I'm hearing you say is you're looking at the YouTube search phrases that people are using that are kind of ranked near the top that don't Mm -hmm. seem like they should be ranked near the top, right? Yeah. And that's a sign that, oh, maybe I should create another video that would be more closely aligned. And have you found when you did that, some of those videos really took off? Yeah, 100%. Help people understand, like, once a video takes off, like, how long does it last for? Because a lot of people on Facebook, you know, they know if you post something and it goes viral, it might be for a couple of days, you know, help them understand like how long a video can actually perform. (laughs) So I think it depends in terms of like what numbers you're looking for. So I have a video that I launched. It was launched on March 31st. And I remember because it's been my most successful video at this point, it has like 1.2 million views, but it was just launched a couple months ago. And it still generates 7,000 views a day. Wow. Now I have, (laughs) yeah. And by the way, is that coming through search or suggested videos? Do you know? That's coming from search. Wow, okay. Yeah, and then I have another video that I launched on my channel well over a year ago, and it's still doing well. It's generating about 3,000 views a day, 
but that was from over a year ago. That's crazy. That's amazing. Now, here's the thing that everybody should understand. It doesn't just have to be search. Suggested mm-hmm. videos, like we've got some videos that are just crushing it on suggested videos. Have you had that yeah. happen yet? Where they're not coming up in search, but they're coming up alongside similar videos that people are mm-hmm. searching for. And people are just clicking on them, probably because of the thumbnail, right? And they're just watching them and then they're becoming subscribers to the channel. Have you found yeah. that that's also very powerful for your channel? Oh, 100%. So for me, I started, the way the algorithm works is you need to have the views, you need to have the engagement, you need to have the stats for YouTube to be like, hey, this is a good video, now I'm going to promote it. So for me, I started focusing so hard on search because I was like, search is the only way I'm going to get those stats. Once I started to get those stats, then YouTube started recommending me on people's home pages. And that was the first area that took off for me. And then it was suggested videos. Do you find that there are certain topics that you always seem to perform well on and there's other topics that don't necessarily perform as well for your channel? Yes. Yeah, 100%. Whenever I talk about making money on YouTube, those do really, really well for me. Compared to a couple months back, I launched a video talking about different Rode microphones. Mm. And that one at the time didn't do well for me, but within the last month, it's actually started to take off. So back to what you were saying, how long a video can do well, like on YouTube, if it doesn't take off immediately, that doesn't mean it's not going to take off in the future. YouTube is very much so an evergreen platform. So if you create content that is still going to be relevant in a year from now, it could take off in the future. And that's just going to really just continue to boost your channel. Well, and another example is when COVID-19 kicked off, um, some of our older videos about live video spiked like in a pretty substantial way. And I think it's because more people were searching for how to do live video because they couldn't Mm -hmm. meet in person. You know what I mean? And we just saw that spike just completely take off. So sometimes there could be world situations or local situations or stuff happening, like maybe a conference or an event or something that might spike certain searches for certain kinds of things. And all of a sudden, something that was just kind of hum dry all of a sudden becomes alive. (laughs) Yeah. The exact same thing with like seasonal content. Like if you create content that is specific to fall, it could continue to do well every fall. That's so cool. Well, I could talk to you forever, Catherine. Uh, This is so much fun. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find your YouTube channel and where they can discover more about you? Yeah, so my YouTube channel is Catherine Manning, and it's spelled weird. It's C-A-T-H-R-I-N, and then Manning like the football players. And then you can find me on Instagram at Catherine underscore Manning. And let's just say for those that don't know football, it's M-A-N-N-I-N-G, right? Because we've got a global audience. They might be thinking (laughs) soccer. So So C-A-T-H-R-I-N-M-A-N-N-I-N-G. And then you said you had a, I missed the second part of what you said if they don't want it. Yeah. So that's on YouTube. And then Instagram is Catherine underscore Manning. Perfect. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your story and your insights with us today. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you. Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 427. And if you're new to the show, hit the subscribe button. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I can be reached, by the way, on Instagram at Stelzner, S-T-E-L-Z-N-E-R. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your fast-talking host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.
Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.